When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're taught since we're little kids that America is the greatest country in the history of civilization. And, and that's coming from the media, the Republicans, the Democrats. And then whenever it comes time for the election on TV, you all hear them saying, we're electing the leader of the free world. And I always wonder, like, how come we're the only country who gets to vote for the leader of the free world? Why doesn't Sweden or China or Mali, how come they don't get to, to vote for it? Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we talked to comedian Judah Friedlander about his new Netflix one-man show called America is the Greatest Country in the United States. We're going to talk to Judah about how America can be the greatest when the U.S. men's soccer team doesn't even make the World Cup, among other things. I also have some choice words about Colin Kaepernick's 30th birthday and why he has become such an inspiration to people who fight for social justice. I also have a very special Just Stand Up Award, a very special Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. But first, let's go to the man himself, Judah Friedland. When I'm president, I'm going to make college free. But you got to pay for high school. Racism, where do you stand? Porter against it. A lot of undecided. So Judah Friedlander, America is the greatest country in the United States. So how are you feeling about America these days? Incredible. I think everything's working out just perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's just going great, right? Yeah, I don't see any problems at all in the nation. Okay. I need you to make the case for me because I just don't see it. How can you argue that America is number one? Well, you know, we're number one in many things. Um, we're number one in uh, confidence, and we're number one in overconfidence. And... Uh, that's actually true. I mean, isn't that like statistically yeah. true? Like, like according to polls? Well, we're number one, period. I mean, that's oh, my, yeah, my, bad. my philosophy. Bad. So that would include that also. Everything I say is true. Nice. Uh, we're number one in the truth also. <laughs> number um, one in truth. It starts at the top. Yeah, in the truth. Yeah, we're number one. Um, all the other countries are fake news. Um, every country is theoretically America if we wanted to invade them. 
so technically we own all the countries. No, but it's like, you know, we're, we're as you know, I talked about this in my act, you know, how we're, you know, in a satirical way, obviously, but, uh, you know, we're number one in mass incarceration, which means uh, we care more about our citizens than other people. You know, we give them housing, we give them meals because we love them. We're number one. I, I, I can't argue with that. We are number one in those categories. Yeah. Um, I, I got to ask you, because you talk about America being number one. I don't. The most popular sport on earth is men's soccer, uh-huh. and so I need to hear from you. How can America be number one if America can't even qualify for the World Cup? It's a great question. Well, you know, my whole special is about the satire on American exceptionalism. So, and I think that, and that comes from democrats it comes from republicans it comes from mainstream media we're back to serious judah all of a sudden the tone change for my audience okay yes but but you know where we literally um we're taught since we're little kids that america is the greatest country in the history of civilization and and that's coming from the media the republicans the democrats and then whenever it comes time for the election on tv y'all hear them saying we're electing the leader of the free world and I always wonder, like, how come we're the only country who gets to vote for the leader of the free world? Why doesn't Sweden or China or Mali, how come they don't get to, to vote for it? So, anyways, um, back to men's soccer. Here's my take on men's soccer. Our country, if we love things that we're great at, and if we're not great at something, we dismiss it as something that's not worthy of our attention. Like, maybe it's Oh, it's, that's something for those bizarre foreigners. It's not for us Americans. It's not worth our time. And that's the way soccer has been treated for decades, if not longer in this country. Um, but it has gotten more popular. But, you know, when the U.S. women team play, their ratings are through the roof. And yeah. when they win, the ratings Higher are Higher than the, the World roof. Series. Yeah. I, I think – I remember when – they beat China in the finals. I think it was 99. Mm-hmm. The game was 0-0. It went to penalty kicks in the U.S. won. You had the entire nation loving this team, rooting for this team. It was a 0-0 game. No one talked about how, oh, soccer's so boring. Nobody scores goals. This was 0-0. The nation was captivated. And then we won. And everyone loves women's soccer. <laughs> and why does the men's team not? Why is it not that popular still? Because they don't win. If we would win, we would say soccer is the greatest sport in the world. But since we don't win, we dismiss it. You're a soccer guy. Uh And so I I ask you this because it's like this is something that people who are – who spend their lives studying the sport debate. How is it we are a country of 300 million people with a growing – Immigrant population, so people importing their love of soccer from other countries, if people want to argue that it's not a homegrown sport of the U.S. or what have you. Why is it that the United States could not field a team that could go to the damn World Cup? That's a multi-pronged question. First of all, we're still newer to the sport. You know, just like we're still ahead in basketball from other countries. And if you notice, they're getting better and better and better. And... You know, the South American and European players who come and play in the NBA, they're often all-stars. You mm-hmm. know, they're very good. So with us, I think it's still 
I think some of our own arrogance, you know, this American exceptionalism does come into play and hurt the team a little bit. I think sometimes the teams, you know, and the media, the way they hype them. So I, I can't speak for the players, but more of like, you know, how I perceive it from the media. Sometimes it's like they get a little overhyped. And then sometimes I think our media is actually not tough enough on our players. They almost treat them like little kids. Like when I watch NFL football, when a quarterback makes a bad play, the announcers rip that quarterback to shreds. And when I watch the World Cup and the national team play and the U.S. player makes a bad play, I don't see any broadcasters ever ripping them and saying that was a horrendous play or they're having a terrible game. They need to bench, need to be benched. Why are they even on the team? I never hear that. They're always just kind of, kind of nice and trying to just, uh, you know, prop everybody up. You know, I, I think it's an attempt to try to make the sport more popular, but it's like, no, if you got a bad player playing, you got to call them out on that. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, as a journalist, I think in sports, you got to, you got to be tough on them. So I think some of that not being tough on the players, it ultimately hurts them. And then also we have lots of sports, you know, many countries, they don't have the, the popularity of so many sports like us. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't realize our country, we have a lot of problems, but, but we're arguably the most entertaining country in the world. You know, m- most countries don't have as big sporting venues as we have. They, they don't have the, the sports marketing behind things like we have, and we have it in multiple sports. So soccer is still a newer professional sport in this country. And the players don't get paid that much. You know, a couple of the big stars will get paid. Most of the players are making the same or less money than the people who are in the stands watching them. So if you're someone, a kid, and you, you want to become a professional athlete, you're probably going to go for the sport that's paying the biggest money because we live in a capitalist society. So they, they need to start paying players more in this country and probably more players need to try to get to Europe and, and South America to play professionally, because if you want to be the best, you have to go to the best place. And here's the other thing that I think is that hurts American sports when it comes to soccer is college. I think college, you need to do two things. You get rid of college sports as, as a gateway to professional sports or you start making college also professional sports. I mean, I think college basketball and college football should be, I don't know enough about baseball, but those two sports, if you're playing that in division one college, you should be a professional athlete. It's like you should cut the bullshit of this student shit, you know, um, and cut the bullshit of not, of not paying them. These are, mm. they're bringing millions of dollars for the schools. Pay these fucking people. So you could say America is first in exploiting amateur athletes, certainly. Exactly. Because no other country does it this way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have some friends who are on the national table tennis team. And I remember one of them, uh, she wound up actually not making the team. She was, she was ranked around fourth or fifth in, in the country. So she missed the Olympic team by one spot. But I remember she was in college. And she was wondering, should she take a year off of school to train to try to make the Olympic team, you know, go to China to train, all this stuff. And I said, if you really want to make the Olympic team, I think you should take a year off of school. I said, college, you can always go back to. College will always be there to take your money. They will always be there for that. Um, You can go to college at any time. 
as an athlete, you have a very small window. You know, in Europe, in the European soccer system, they don't have college soccer. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, it, it's, 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 it's more like gymnastics is done here, where it's like, if you want to be a professional soccer player, that's what you fucking do. You know, it's, it's, it's professional sports, is, is a, it's, a, it's a business and a sport. It's for youth. It's, it's for young people. So why, why, why do the bullshit of going to college for that? Just, just become a professional athlete. So soccer, I think, needs to do what Europe does, where you have you have junior teams that are with that professional team that that farm into the professional team when you get older, if you're good enough, and and you have a relegation. You know, you have different divisions. You know, you have your first division, second division, third division, and you have the junior teams as well. So you're actually developing people. There's no need to go to go to waste time with college. You know. Mm. Don't need to waste time with college. No, I hear you. I have one more thing I want to say. And this is it's something I started years ago and I kind of stopped. But the refereeing, you know, the referee, just depending on how you referee a game, and by that I mean how much fouling you let get away with, really changes the league. If you have a league where there's just tons of fouling is allowed, that's not going to help develop skilled players. So. If your league is more friendly to just the, 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 the brawling, fouler player out there, it's not going to be as friendly to the skilled player, and you're not going to develop as many skilled players. You know, your special is called America is the Greatest Country in the United States, and I have to tell yeah. everybody out there, in full disclosure, I watched this, and I was just like, I was on the floor laughing so hard. I mean, it was so good. And I'm just putting that out there. I'm not saying that because you're a guest on the show. If it was terrible, yeah. believe me, it would make a better podcast if I told you why it was so terrible. But I, <laughs> it just would. No, that would be better podcasting. If yeah. I just went through chapter and verse about why I hated it to your face. I cannot do that. It was too funny. Right. I got to ask you this, though. Why is it that this is the only country in the world that calls its champions world champions? Like, what's your analysis of that? That's always been so curious to me. Well, you know, when I do stand-up comedy, I wear a hat that says world champion. And part of that is all about the – it's that American exceptionalism. It's like we're arrogant enough that if a team from a certain city wins the national championship, you might as well just say it's the world championship because who else can compete with us? And that's kind of – I think some of it is is from naivety, naivete. I don't know what I said. Sorry I about think that. it's pronounced – Nifty. Okay. Uh, oh, God, you talking French with with the America's the greatest country in the United States, man. That's that's not exactly on brand, Judah. French is actually my first language. Oh my um, bad. Then continue. It's, uh, uh, but you know we're geographically we're since we're such a big country, we're a little geographically isolated from a lot of the world. So a lot of people don't know a lot of the other parts of the world. So you know. It's not surprising that, you know, you have a national league and when someone wins it, they're called world champions and not national champions because, you know, we live in a country where when we elect the president, we're electing the leader of the free world. So we really look at ourselves as the only worthy country on the planet, so much of it, which is completely ridiculous, but that's how people look at it. So, yeah, so when you have the world championships, people are like, okay, well. Oh yeah, Japan has a league too, and but uh, it's not our league, so we're the best. So it's world champions. Yeah, it's crazy. Just like you know, 
and you and you've written about this before. I've read it in your books. You know, when the the national anthem is played at a game, why is the national anthem played when Cincinnati, Ohio, is playing uh, St. Louis, Missouri, or even more so, like Toronto? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh no. Why is the and then, then they'll play O Canada, play. which they otherwise don't do in Canada, except when they play yeah. our sports. Yeah. And in England, when Manchester plays a team in London, they don't play the British national anthem. You know, that's reserved for an international match. And even then, I think it's pretty corny to be forced to listen to a song before you play or watch a sport. I don't know why you have to listen to a song before that happens. Never got it. Never, Never got it. Doesn't happen before movies. Doesn't happen before a stand-up yeah. show. Doesn't happen before yeah. a play. But but, yeah. but, so, but let me ask you this, though. What, what is your take then? I mean, because I just – my mind is still like a blizzard about this, about everything that's happened, not just with Colin Kaepernick, but the other people who have protested racism during the anthem. Because to me, I look at this and I'm like, okay – they're exercising their constitutional rights during the anthem. And people are like, respect the anthem while they're like throwing beer cans at them and yelling out slurs. And I'm yeah, not sure yeah. how is that respecting the anthem? Not yeah. to mention that the fact when they roll the flag out on the field, it's a violation of the flag code. Yet somehow yeah. these folks are all respectful of this country yeah. and the anthem, yet players exercising their rights are not. How, how do you process that? First of all, I think if... Uh... I think if Trump can grab a pussy, Kaepernick can take a knee. I think that's more than a uh, a fair trade there. You know, it's just that, yeah, I mean, that's what I try to do in my comedies, expose hypocrisies. And, you know, I think the far right has much better propaganda than the center or than the left, you know. So they're very good at falsely reframing things. You know, uh, when a protest is about police brutality, against black people and then they turn it into um you're disrespecting uh america period you know it's 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 nasty but uh effective propaganda for many people and one more thing for you too on this trump front and i don't want him to be our our obsession but it's a little it's a little hard to if we're talking about america as the greatest country in the united states Right. Talking about this guy and also trying to relay it back to sports. The other thing I don't understand yeah. is you might have heard him this week. He was like, our federal courts are a joke. Uh, today he's like, this military judge is a joke. It's, you know, it's, and, and what I don't understand is even if for vastly different reasons I agree with him about military courts. But le- leaving that entirely aside, why does he get to like trash America? You know, like, like literally talk about our inner cities like they're like these yeah. like war yeah. zones from hell and everything is what about Chicago? And, and, and it's just like the, this incredible trashing of this country. And yet yeah. he gets to claim patriotism while the NFL players who I've talked to, they all say the same thing. They say we choose the anthem to protest because we're protesting the gap between what the flag stands for and our lived experience. Right. Why is it read so differently? Are we just talking about is, – is this at the end of the day? Or are we just talking about white supremacy? I was going to say exactly that. It's, 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 white, it's white supremacy propaganda. You know, it's um, – you know, because pe- people, people know what he's really talking about. You know, he never shits on America when it's involving, you know, white neighborhoods. You know, you know one of my theories is, you know, the whole, the whole thing about when people just say – 
you know, if anyone's racist, that's just because of lack of education. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think sometimes that's the case, but you know, there's good people and bad people in the world. And I don't know what percentage are good. I don't know what percentage are bad, but it does seem like amongst the bad people, there's a higher percentage that are very aggressive and very vocal. And there's a lot of people who are decent people who are not aggressive or vocal. And when one side is really loud, um, they get a lot more power, you know. Uh, so I think more people who are decent people need to need to start speaking up and not just uh, riding it out. That was the great Judah Friedlander. His Netflix special is called "America Is the Greatest Country in the United States." You got to check it out. I think climate change won the Cold War. <laughs> Invade North Dakota. Send North Korea a message. And now, before we have some choice words about Colin Kaepernick's 30th birthday and why he matters to social justice activists, a quick word from The Nation magazine. Look, we need alternative media right now. We need to get news out into people's hands. The Nation magazine has been doing it for 150 years, and we ain't stopping. Can't stop, won't stop. Support The Nation magazine. It is more needed than ever. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. That's thenation.com slash subscribe. Read my stuff. Read John Nichols. Read Collier Meyerson. I mean, we're talking some amazing, amazing writers doing the best work on the political left. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And now I've got some choice words, as promised, about the 30th birthday of Colin Kaepernick and why he matters so much to this generation of social justice activists. Last week, my eighth grade daughter went to see the band Fall Out Boy in concert. Please, no comments on a 13-year-old's musical taste, or I will smite you. Behind the band, as they played their hit song Centuries, was a massive flat-screen image of Colin Kaepernick. It's remarkable to think that just two years ago, when Kaepernick turned 28, he was in the middle of his worst season as a pro, injured and only playing nine games with his team exploring trade options, even though he was just two and a half years removed from being a play away from leading his team to a Super Bowl. Now, on the day of his 30th birthday, it's worth starting to answer the question, why? Not why does he deserve a spot on a roster? And not why is there collusion to keep him out of the NFL? I think we know the answer to those questions. The question is really more, why has an NFL quarterback who expressed no public political views before 14 months ago become an icon to the people who are in the streets fighting racism and for social justice? Why did taking that knee during the anthem and the injustice of his subsequent blackballing turn Colin Kaepernick into something beyond a flesh-and-blood human being and into something of an icon? Why were people wearing Kaepernick jerseys as they stood up to Nazis in Charlottesville? Why did 2,000 people show up in front of NFL headquarters to demonstrate in his name? Why did no less a figure than 83-year-old Bill Russell pose on one knee while wearing his Presidential Medal of Freedom? And most importantly, why have so many people poured their passions into this person, making him representative of something well beyond anything he ever asked for? 
That last question is especially important when we consider Kaepernick's relative silence. He doesn't do interviews. He barely tweets. He does retweet. And he doesn't rush to marches and ask to speak. When he has gone out in public, it's been to do low-profile community service projects that the mainstream media is never even privy to until someone posts it on social media. As someone who has spoken and communicated with Kaepernick, as well as someone who's been at marches where Kaepernick shirts are almost as ubiquitous as Black Lives Matter shirts, I think I have some insight why. It's just my own theory, but let's give it a go. Over the last 15 years, we have seen movements that have gone up like fireworks and then down almost as quickly as they brighten the sky. This is not to discredit the remarkable people who have stayed in the trenches and never stopped fighting. These people exist, and their work keeping embers lit in this shitstorm of the 21st century should be treasured. But when we think about marches, like the million-strong anti-war rallies of the Bush years when he invaded Iraq, or the million-strong immigrant rights marches of 2006, or the march for LGBTQ equality in D.C., or Occupy Wall Street, or even certain cities that saw the Black Lives Matter movement explode after Ferguson, they are characterized by two things. The first was the incredible excitement that accompanied their beginning, followed by demoralization of anything but the most hardened activists. Many of us know them, people radicalized in the struggle who found themselves feeling burned or burned out by promises of another world being possible. Those fortunate enough to find politics and organization have remained engaged and thank the deity of your choice for them. But too many who were swept into the movement became almost skeletal creatures walking the streets with a lantern and looking at the White House, wondering what the hell happened. The other aspect that defined this movement was the fact, and this has been celebrated by movement participants, that these were leaderless struggles. If I had a nickel for everyone I heard say that this was a strength, that leaders could be co-opted or even killed, then I could join Mar-a-Lago. On one level, this is true. We have a history that shows assassination and co-optation with horrifying regularity, but people also yearn for icons, for people who are tenacious that they can look towards, for people whom their kids do book reports on or become reference points when others talk about the importance of resistance or are shown on flat screens at Fall Out Boy concerts. This is especially true in the Trump years, where the gap between people's crackling rage and the kind of South Korea-type struggles needed to actually unseat him seemed chasmic. It's one of our oldest, albeit truest, cliches, but nature abhors a vacuum. In an era of leaderless movements, people have decided that Kaepernick is a leader. He's also the embodiment and animating spirit of the NFL players' protest, the most visible resistance in the United States to racism and Trumpism, even if it had nothing to do with Trump until he decided to scapegoat it for his own racialized purposes. This protest has mixed politics across the board, from supporting small-bore legislation to players speaking out about institutionalized racism and white supremacy. But one thing about it is that by continuing to protest during the anthem and consciously making owners, sponsors, and some fans uncomfortable, it is our living symbol of what so many of us yearn for, the plea not for peace, but justice. That's the Kaepernick legacy. It's nothing he asked for. And having talked to him, I don't think it's anything at this point that he even wants. He's a deeply intelligent, but also soft-spoken and introverted person. He has, as journalist Sean King wrote, the soul of an activist, but not the kind that hits a podium with their fist, but the kind that makes sure that everyone is signed into the conference and has the right wristband to get a box lunch. He is the walking iteration of the quote from Shakespeare. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Greatness has been thrust upon Colin Kaepernick. 
What happens now with him personally is unclear, but there is clarity in the faces of the people he has inspired. No justice, no peace, and take that knee. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. This week, the Just Stand Up Award is very connected to last week's show, which was about the hashtag MeToo movement in sports, the calling out of sexual assault and sexual harassment in the world of sports. It's gotten most of its publicity in the land of Hollywood, but in sports, this is something very real. And something remarkable happened after the show uh, went to production last week, and that was that Brianna Stewart, arguably the most accomplished young basketball player that this country has ever produced, issued a statement last week posted on the Players' Tribune about the abuse that she suffered as a child. It was a brave and bold and beautiful statement. And afterwards, she made the decision uh, not to do interviews or follow-ups, even though they were bombarded with requests, I know, at at, at the office of her agent. But she just wanted to let the statement speak for herself. I'm very proud to say that her people got in touch with us with a statement. So we want to read it to you right now. These are the words of Brianna Stewart, uh, as read by my mom, Jane Zirin, uh, and because I didn't think it would be good for me, a dude, to read Brianna's words. And this is what she said about why she chose to issue this statement now. Well, I think courage can be contagious. Hearing Olympic gymnast Michaela Maroney's story of sexual abuse and all the voices joining in hashtag Me Too, dating back to nonprofit organizer Tarana Burke, who really started it in 1997 and didn't get a lot of credit for it. Even the momentum you feel around the NFL players organizing and forcing ownership to the table. Then there was my team, the Seattle Storm, formerly supporting Planned Parenthood. It's inspiring to see other athletes using their voices. We are existing in what seems like a political pressure cooker right now, but I would like to believe that it's worth being engaged because on the other side of all this, if we work hard enough, there's something better for everyone. I want to know that I stood up when it was hard because that's when it really counts. That's when I can help push the conversation forward and maybe even save somebody's life. I have this platform, and as hard as it is to talk about, wouldn't it be a shame not to use it? We don't all have to do everything, but if we all did one thing true to us and then supported others doing the same, can you imagine where we all might get? I hope by sharing I can encourage others to be brave too about whatever they care about and to have compassion for others You never know what they might be going through. That was the Just Stand Up Award, the words of WNBA great Brianna Stewart, as read by my mom, Jane Zirin. Great job, Ma. Now it's time for the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Who else could it go to? It's going to go to Papa John. That's Papa John Schnatter, the person who is the founder of Papa John's Pizza. Pizza that literally tastes like a diaper that you left in the microwave with ketchup on top. 
you should be happy I'm not saying it's a used diaper because I'm, I'm damn close to saying that's the taste of that pizza. Ooh. Papa John Schnatter, and he is the official pizza salesman of the NFL, was talking about the player protests, and he said, quote, the NFL has hurt us. We are disappointed the NFL and its leadership did not resolve this. Leadership starts at the top, and this is an example of poor leadership. And he said the issue should have been nipped in the bud, and he blamed poor sales of his pizza on the NFL protests. Thank you, Papa John Schnatter. I wonder if he's going to blame himself now that the day after he made this asinine statement, his pizzeria, if you want to call it that, had losses of $70 million. But even more nefarious in all of this is that guess who is the second largest owner of Papa John's franchises after Papa John Schnatter? It's Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and the person who has been calling for players to be forced to stand up. And Jerry Jones was on the radio the day after Papa John Schnatter said this, and Jerry Jones was like, that's an example of great leadership, that he said these things. Now, to me, this is the example, just let's get a couple things out of the way, of the worst kind of leadership, not just from Papa John, but from Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry Jones using a, a meat puppet and frankly calling what the, the meat toppings at Papa John's meat is definitely, definitely a stretch. I think the only thing with meat in Papa John's pizza is whatever rat feces is in the crust. But, I mean, I'm just going by taste. But that Jerry Jones used him to make his statement is a sign of poor leadership. And Papa John blaming his inedible pizza on NFL players for protesting is an example of terrible leadership. But lastly, I got to say one last thing about Papa John Schnatter. Because how do we not look at this as white minstrelsy? I mean, think about this guy. Papa John, he's like trying to be like, hey, I'm Italian, I'm Papa John, look at me, I'm Papa John. Dude, your last name's Schnatter. You're about as Italian as Dale Earnhardt Jr. It is absurd that you did this. It's hilarious that you're losing money. And it's hilarious that all the other pizzerias are now tweeting insults to you and your pizza. It's wonderful. I mean, you're even getting clowned by DiGiorno's, which is frozen pizza. I mean, my goodness. I I put this on Twitter. I want to say it now. At least Sal's Pizza from Do the Right Thing. At least Sal, he made good pizza. Bensonhurst Pizza. It's good pizza. It's racist. But it's good pizza. Papa John's doesn't even bring the pizza. He just brings the bigotry. He should just sit his ass down. And now a quick word about the Start Making Sense podcast. If you like Edge of Sports, you got to check out Start Making Sense from The Nation magazine. It's progressive news without the boring parts. Every week, host John Wiener takes a step back from the daily media deluge to talk to some really smart people. People like Naomi Klein on climate change or Keith Ellison on a strategy for the Democratic Party. And he's even had me on the show to talk about sports and politics. Catch a new episode of Start Making Sense every Thursday at thenation.com, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning into the show this week. Please listen to last week's episode. I thought it was spectacular about Me Too and sports. Uh, people can go to edgeofsportspodcast.com and listen to Nancy Hogshead McCarr speak about that struggle. People also may know we're having issues with the iPhone iTunes interface. We are working so hard to get those taken care of. That's all on iTunes, and that's not on us. 
but people can still listen to the show through iTunes on their computer. People can still listen to the show on Stitcher or other podcast apps of their choice, and you can listen to it on SoundCloud whenever you like. So please spread the word about that. The shows are too good to not be heard. I got to tell you, we're doing some amazing work. Thank you to everybody who's leaving comments. Uh, It makes a huge difference in terms of the algorithms, which is a word. I don't really know what that means, but I'm told that that's really important. Thank you so much to my co-producers, Daniel Baker and David Tigabu. Thank you so much to my mom, Jane Zirin, for reading uh, Brianna Stewart's amazing words. And to everybody out there, remember, you can always listen to back episodes at edgeofsportspodcast.com. Those are always gold. Uh, My name's Dave Zirin. Please stay frosty, everybody. We are out of here. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.